and gentlemen, welcome back to the latest installment of the SJ Primetime Show. We've got a very exciting show for you guys today. We are joined by a very special guest, Portland, Maine's own, Deering's own, Nick Canner Medley. Uh, for those of you that don't know, you're going to learn today. Nick averaged t- nearly 27 as a junior for the Rams, averaged 36 and a half uh, as a senior, uh, led Deering to back-to-back Western Maine titles. Um, Shout out to Walter Phillips. Walter Phillips is in that mix as well. <laughs> um, Nick went, went on to have a very illustrious career for the Terrapins of uh, Maryland, the Terps. Fear the turtle, baby. Uh, at the time, when Nick finished his career, he's number 11 all-time in games played for Maryland, number 8 in minutes, 13th all-time in points scored, um, 18th in rebounds, 6 in assists. I mean, this guy, 11th in steals, 13th in blocks legitimate player. Um, at the time of, of his graduation, Nick was one of only five Maryland players to score over 1,500 points, grab over 500 rebounds, and record more than 200 assists, 100 steals, 100 threes, and 50 blocks. Um, this guy clamped up J.J. Redick in the 04 ACC tournament game. Um, the, <laughs> just played played with really tremendous talent. Guys like John Gilchrist, um, guys like DJ Strawberry. I mean, just a really um, legitimate career playing for Coach Williams. His, his, his position on local sports, uh, a few months ago, he made a very compelling argument and post about the, the reality of the situation in Maine, and that's that less than half a percent of our, of our athletes have an opportunity to play a, a D1 um, or, or have professional careers. And obviously, Nick was a part of that you know, half a percent or, or whatever in terms of he was able to kind of to to parlay his experience at Deering High School into a D1 um, offer or offers um, and then play professionally and, and make a career out of it. So what can we do as as teachers, as coaches, as parents, as fans, as, as, as student athletes, what can we do better um, to kind of help represent Maine? Um, and just kind of want to pick his brain a little bit about the March Madness tournament and things of that nature. So we, we, we cannot wait to have him on the show. Appreciate everybody's feedback, um, up to this point, appreciate kind of the buzz. Uh, we made a post, uh, last week, a few days ago, and, and the, the word of the day is the word of the week, the word of the month, uh, has been momentous. It feels like we're kind of building momentum here. So it, it's very exciting. Um, so we'll just kind of continue to plug away and, and see what develops. Nick. How are you? What's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you taking some time this afternoon. Um, show, showing some Deering pride right now. Had a cup of coffee at Deering uh, during my internship. So that's where I did my uh, a year of student teaching for the Rams. So showing some love. I'm a Westbrook guy, but... Uh, I appreciate the Deering love. Yeah, yeah. It was show- my pleasure to... Uh, always always uh, happy to chat hoops, man. Man, we well, we we certainly appreciate it. Um, man, I, I got to get right into it with you. Uh, last last week, you made a post. Uh, it was pretty compelling. Uh, you're talking about hooping with MJ. You got to take. A, I got to peel back some layers, man. So, what's the context? You guys are playing pickup. Is it is it two on two? Are you playing five on five? Who else is playing? Where are you playing? Why are you calling for the ball? I mean, were you were you feeling? I mean, what's going on, man? <laughs> <laughs> on why did I call for the ball? That, all of it's a great question, man. What an incredible experience and opportunity I had when I was at Maryland. Um, Jordan has a camp in Santa Barbara at UCSB um, for kids, and he invites every summer, at least he did when I was in Maryland. He identifies the top 20, 25 players in the country, uh, and he reaches out and invites you to come to his camp for a week and you, you know, train with the other players. And then the main purpose is every night you play a five on five pickup game in front of all the parents and all the kids. And Jordan played with us uh, a majority of the nights. Usually he would play two or three times a week and the other nights we would just play amongst ourselves. But it was great players at the time. I mean, it was, um, you know, Darren Williams, um, Chris Paul, um, you know, Rashad McCants from North Carolina, who was a big name at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean May, mm-hmm. Tyler Hansborough. I mean, a lot of guys. J.J. Redick, mm-hmm. uh, who, who was my roommate. We stayed at a frat house right on campus. So, I mean, not only was it a phenomenal time for us 
Um, for me, it was before my junior year and uh, and before my my senior year. So it was the summer after my sophomore year and the summer after my junior year. So I went for two summers. So I was able to be a deer in the headlights year one. And then, you know, it's incredible with the game of basketball. Once you get in between the lines, you start to feel comfortable, you know, and, 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 and MJ always made us feel super comfortable. You know, he's a really, really fun guy to be around, always cracking jokes. That's one of the things that's so cool for me about this new documentary, The Last Dance, is because people are getting a chance to see kind of how Jordan was behind the scenes, you know, and, and, and social media was different then. So you didn't have that behind the scenes look and, and really idea to feel like you get to know somebody like you do with athletes now. There's so much exposure to athletes now. You, I, I feel like as a fan, you, you feel like you know the guy a little bit. You know more about him off the court. You know how they are. You hear about how they are with their teammates. And, you know, so he was always a guy who would, who would bust your chops a little bit. And, you know, uh, he, he would get after me quite a bit. Uh, one of his favorite things to talk about, which I mentioned in that post, was I was a very dominant left-handed player, and I always have been. And he always, his favorite joke was if I could, if I could spend a million dollars on buying you a right-hand camera, I would win. is. The fact that he even said my name as a super fan and he's my idol was super cool. But the, the funny thing about it, he's the only person who's ever called me Kaner. Like growing up, my friends called me Medley. Okay. In Maryland, it was always Kaner Medley or obviously Nick or whatever. And he just would, would, would yell Kaner, um, which was pretty funny. But it was an incredible experience. And he would just give us so much gear in general. Um, he would come and, and this guy who's, who, who's known now as Worldwide West. Um, who I don't know if you've heard of heard of him. He's a guy who's always been Jordan's right hand man. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually people were looking at Wes for the potential GM job when Leon Rose just got the president job at the Knicks. Um, they were talking about potentially bringing bringing in Wes as a consultant because he's just you know very well respected and like, and he was always with Jordan. He was super cool to be around, super funny. So he'd come in with duffel bags of gear, and this was all. A couple people asked me, like, was it retros, like the fives and the threes and the elevens, the, the ones we all love. It right. was all the 20s and the 21s. So it was the shoes that were coming out at that time. So he wanted, you know, he wanted college athletes to be wearing his new shit. So he would just give us literally duffel bags and duffel bags of shit. Uh, and I would still joke with him that I need some gear. You know, in Maine, we don't we don't sell Jordan gear. You know, I'd fuck with him about that. Right. Sorry for cursing. No, no, no. You're good, man. No, you're good. You're good. Um, and so one of the times, like I kind of articulated in the post, was I was just reflecting um, on the story, and you know he yelled my name and he kind of like waved me over, and I went out there and grabbed a bunch of uh, grabbed a bunch of shoes, and then on my way in, he, he yells Caner again. I look back and he's like, "Don't you ever call for the ball again?" And kind of and, and didn't even really laugh, like dead serious. Don't call for the ball again. And then and then gets into his truck and drives off. So. Just thinking back on it, man, I mean, in the moment, you know, it was, you know, the first year I was extremely starstruck and then he just really made us feel comfortable. So the second summer, you know, when I reflect on other times, he took a bunch of guys out on, on his boat, which unfortunately I, which being from Maine, it sucks. I'm, I get super motion sick and seasick, mm-hmm. so I couldn't go. But I mean, this guy's taken 20 college basketball players out on a huge yacht. I mean, we, we really had the time of our lives there. Looking back on it, it was definitely the, the best experience that I had as a, as a college player. So, yeah, man, it was it was a pretty crazy story. And why did I call for the ball? I mean, it was literally you just start feeling comfortable. And, and to be honest with you, I was wide open. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, I wasn't over there, like, calling for the ball with, like, somebody on me. Sure. Here swinging MJ. It was like, yo, yo, like, I'm wide open over here. I got and you. I, he kind of looked at me and like, yeah, right. And then kept going with the ice on me. He did, let me tell you something. He did not pass the ball at all. <laughs> you think you think that he'd go out there playing with college guys and you know, kind of let them shine. He was going at every single guy he possibly could, calling everybody out to come guard him. Numerous times he called me out to come guard him. And, you know, he's just completely unguardable. You know what I mean? Because he just, he would literally take it from the top of the key going very slowly, dribbling, dribbling, then kind of backing you down, putting his shoulder on you and arms reach, and then really just stop and just kind of shock fake a little and kind of get you to bite. 
and you get a little bit closer to him, he'd kind of push you off. And every every time he got a shot off, I mean, he he would shoot in these settings. I mean, he'd shoot 80, 90%, you know, with, with everything he was doing because he was still sharp at that time. I mean, this is 2004, 2000, after my, so I went in 2002, so 2003 to 2005. So this was right around the same time that he was with the Wizards and getting done, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. he could still, I mean, the guy could still really, really, really play at an elite level. Could have still played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I think he got done a year or two before that. So, um, what was, uh, man, that is crazy. We saw last weekend the Jordan rules. So when he's like, yo, Kaner, come on, you want some? What are your rules? Are you trying to force him to the like what, to the elbow? Are you trying to work? You trying to take away? I mean, what do you do? Right? Like, there's like, what's your attack? First and foremost is don't foul him. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I'm not trying to be out here hacking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but man, it, it's just in the moment. It's kind of hard to explain because it's very surreal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, you've got a guy in front of you who you know you're not necessarily thinking about all the other times you've seen him and looked up to him you're just enjoying that moment sure you know and just you know trying to get a hand up that's all you can really do <laughs> bro that is that is wild man that is and wild come full circle on it i did a workout for the charlotte the charlotte bobcats when i was coming out of college and it was me rudy gay and uh adam morrison mm-hmm. they ended up drafting adam morrison mm-hmm. um and it was a couple other guys that were in the workout and um, he said it to me again because I made a joke to him. I said, man, I've been working on the right. I've been working on the right. And he said, he worked us out. He actually ran the workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, we'll see because you're, you're not scoring in any of the games unless you finish with your right hand, which I didn't do. Obviously, once the, it got competitive, I was right back to the left. But sure. I, did, I did finish a couple times with my right hand and smile and he was just shaking his head like, you're not fooling me. You're not. I'm not <laughs> drafting your ass. You got no right. <laughs> right. Well, because he's he's a GM owner, right? At that point, and that's when they took Morrison like seven or nine or something they like took that. Him in the top five. I think they took him number three. Oh, okay. Yeah, at a Gonzaga, you played it. Basically, brought me in to be a body to kind of to, to to defend, you know, a similar body type as as Morrison because they had a a, a couple first round picks, and uh, you know he he gave me some really really good compliments. Um, you know, at the workout that I'll never forget. He told me, he said, look, if I had a late first or second round pick, he said, I would take you in a heartbeat. He said, keep working. And that, and it, it literally like, I remember I got on the, the phone with my dad after and I was damn near in tears, you know, because to hear, to hear that from him, you know, meant a lot. Um, but it was just an incredible, incredible experience, man, incredible experience. And, um, you know, I, I hope that we cross paths again, um, you know, as I transition out of playing and I want to be involved in, game of basketball in some in some way and I, I hope we cross paths again because you know he was just such a great leader and, and such a great person to be around yeah I was gonna ask too as you're I mean obviously you're still playing you just recently signed uh in Japan obviously right now with the with the nature of the the situation we're all kind of on standby but I was gonna ask a little bit about how you see yourself as a maybe as an executive or as a coach or as like how do you see yourself staying engaged with the game of basketball Hold on, let me get. I uh, apologize. I want to make sure that this doesn't switch off of. Uh, no, you good, man. Wi-Fi. I don't want to lose you. No, I appreciate um, you, man. You good. I lost you there for one second. Say that again. Just wondering how you, um, like, as you're. Well, I don't want to imply that your your playing career is winding down by any means, but in terms of like how you're going to approach the game, is it getting into maybe a GM role or a front office role, or is it maybe in, in a coaching role, or where do you see? Uh, the game of basketball in your life kind of moving forward. Yeah, that's something I've tried to gauge, you know, as it is down the stretch in my career. I mean, I'm taking it one by one at this point. This will be my 15th season. I'll be 37 in October. Um, You know, my body still feels relatively good. And and again, it's, it's a knock on wood thing. You're really just taking it one, one year at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I started doing things off the court with entrepreneurial members and invest about 10 years ago now. I'm actually right now in an empty 6,500-square-foot place in Portland called Cloudport that I opened uh, three and a half years ago that's currently closed because of, you know, the obvious situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done a lot of stuff off the court business-wise, and I've, I've found a passion for how the same disciplines of being an athlete um, can translate over to being an entrepreneur, the same principles of identifying character and team and 
the disciplines and the routine and the amount of work and commitment it takes and attention to detail. Um, and so I found a passion for it. So for me, what really is interesting is the business side of basketball, you know, finding a way, whether it's, you know, working with some agents, I've, I've already done that. I've worked with some agents in, in Europe and helped bring players, share with the players kind of what my experience has been over the last 15 years and articulating some of the strong suits of some of these agents um, in sort of a, a consulting way. Um, you know, so it may be a situation. Do I got, yeah, I got you, Nick. I apologize. I think it's probably on my end. Do I got you here, Nick? Do I got you here? You got me? Yeah. Oh, all right, man. I apologize about that. No worries. No worries. Um, you know, and so I've, I've done some things along that line and, and I've looked at also some, some, some opportunities of, I've seen other players do it. Um, and I've talked to some people who have done it about potentially getting involved in an ownership group in Europe. Uh, I have a lot of relationships there. Um, and, and also I'd love to do something front office wise. Um, like being a GM. Um, but the path to those roles are, is going to be kind of a matter of taking it, you know, step by step through relationships and just seeing what opportunities present themselves when I'm done playing. I, I have relationships in the NBA with guys in front offices that I've known from when they were coaches and just being in the basketball world for a while now, um, you know, and, and stayed in touch with those guys and, you know, going to try to find an opportunity. Uh, but I think the first thing I'll do when I'm done is kind of focus on the portfolio I've built, you know, off the court from a business standpoint, and then just build relationships with basketball and continue to find opportunities and, you know, take it one step at a time. Hey, that's awesome, man. That's, that's really awesome. Um, I'm wondering, you, you talked a little bit about your experiences in Europe, uh, playing for the Monaco's or you, you, you played against like Real, Real Madrid and teams like that. Those, those teams are more kind of known for, obviously, their, their soccer and, and things like that. And they're intense fans. How are the fans internationally? Are they as wild from a basketball standpoint as they are maybe from a soccer standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to see basketball develop in Europe over the last 15 years. Um, when I first got to Europe in 2006, basketball was already big over there, but it's it's grown leaps and bounds from a, not only the fans and sponsorships, but also the talent of the, the European players and, you know, people from, from that side of the water in general as, as basketball players, um, you know, and, and so the fans are very passionate and, and I've spent a majority of my career in Spain, um, eight seasons and, you know, those same fans, the soccer fans you mentioned are extremely passionate. And that was one of my favorite parts of playing there is, you know, um, the fans are like college, you know, it's that same environment as college where the fans are really, really, you know, loud and they get into it. And so that was one of my favorite parts of playing overseas is the fans, how passionate they are, how animated they are. And I ate it up. I mean, I really fed off that energy and, you know, I would give it back to the fans. And some of the best experiences that I've had as a professional has been really interacting with the fans and celebrating wins and stuff like that. So it's, uh, the fans are phenomenal over there and definitely one of my, you know, favorite parts of playing over there. Man, that is, that's neat. And you likened it a little bit to playing collegiately at Maryland in the ACC, the Dukes, the Wake Forest, the, the UNCs talk a little bit about, um, that experience in terms of what's it like? I mean, I've, I've watched some clips, you know, Outlet pass, you're banging on UNC Duncan, and then Coach Williams is fuming. Timeout, you know, timeout. Go to a what's that like? Duncan at Chapel Hill, and then like looking at Coach Williams, and he's pissed at his guys. Like, what does that feel like to to either get a crowd going at College Park or to shut a crowd up? But you know, at Cameron Indoor, like, what's what's that like? Yeah, I mean, they're both special in their own regard. I mean, the the fans at at Maryland. Uh, at the Comcast Center. When I got there in 2002, um, the Comcast Center opened for the first year. Um, so it was a brand new arena, uh, 17,000 people. Um, and, and Maryland had just won a national championship in 2002. So, uh, or the, the year before, um, I think it was 2001 then. Um, 
or no, because it was in 2002 because it was after it was, it was March Madness. So yeah, they just came off a championship. It's like Steve Blake and uh, and Juwan Dixon, those guys, man, right? Right, exactly. And I got to play with Steve my freshman year, and so the the the, the rush of playing in front of a crowd like that uh, against some of the teams you mentioned uh, was incredible. Uh, but then equally incredible was being in environments like. Uh, my sophomore year, we went down to Gainesville, Ooh, Florida. When they, the swamp. When they were the number one team in the nation. Um, and one of the things that made that experience so special is for whatever reason, um, and I've only told this story to a few people, but for whatever reason, when I came onto the court with the assistant coach, uh, it was the first time I'd ever played a number one team and the first time I'd done it on the road. And they talked about how the fans were going to be this and that and ourselves and stay focused and we were young we were sophomores um and i came out on the court and the full student section was already full and i was one of the first guys out there the first guy from our team and the crowd erupted like it was you know the beginning of the game you know yelling at me swearing at me you know just anything you can imagine being said saying to me and for whatever reason in that moment i just went two middle fingers up and just let it ride around the whole little area. Um, and dude, th their reaction to that was, I mean, it was louder than them yelling at me than it probably was at any point in the game. I mean, they were just, I mean, for me to come out there and flip them all off as they're yelling at me, usually guys pretend like they're not there. They kind of ignore them. But for me, when I look back at it, you know, it was something that was a little bit out of character for me, but I am a very competitive person and, it dialed me in because then I had to go ahead and shoot. Right. Just me out there with them all going crazy. I didn't take that part into consideration. <laughs> so the first couple shots, I was a little bit tight. Uh, and then I started it, but it had me dialed in in warmups like I was already in the game. So I actually ended up having a really, really good game, a 20 and 10 game. And we ended up beating them uh, in overtime that game. And so that was uh, one of my best memories. And then my junior year, we went into Duke when Duke was number one at that time, and they had J.J. Reddick and Sheldon Williams and these guys, and uh, we ended up beating them at Duke, um, and I had, uh, I think it was like 23 and 12 in that game, and then they did the interview after, like the live interview after the game, and I remember like giving a shout out to Maine, like, you know, I appreciate Maine and all the people that supported me and all this stuff. It was just a wild yeah. and And I always had so much pride in Maine, and I always tried to always find opportunities to, to talk about Maine because people would give me a lot of crap about being from Maine and, oh, nobody plays basketball up there and this type of stuff. So I took it as a challenge to kind of represent the state with, you know, when, when I was playing and, and just try to kind of put us on the map in terms of like we can play too and, you know, we're not scared of, of this moment and we're not scared of these environments. Hey man, well we we see you, we saw you, we we see you, you know, internationally, and and I think you you do you do a good job in making us proud and representing. Um, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Uh, talk a little bit about the your sophomore year, I believe, the ACC tournament. Um, you guys had to go through Chris Paul and Wake Forest. Uh, kind of wanted to. Did you feel like you survived that thirty point? I mean, he had like thirty points. Like he, he's going off. We've seen as fans guys like. You know, Steph Curry comes to mind for Davidson or guys like maybe like a Carson Edwards for Purdue kind of take over. Can you feel that happening? And how do you stop that? Like, or, or uh, the Hodge kid from NC State, like, you, can you feel these guys get going? And it's like, oh man, shit, we got to stop this. Or what's that like yeah. being a player? Well, you've got two op options in that situation. You can either focus on stopping it or you can, you know, hopefully have somebody or collectively be able to match it. And during that tournament, tournament in specific, we were fortunate to have a guy who was just out of his mind mm -hmm. the whole weekend, and John Gilchrist, who ended up getting the ACC uh, tournament MVP. Um, and he was just absolutely out of his mind the entire uh, – and he was in a, in a whole different mindset. I mean, I'd never even seen him like that because he was my college roommate. Mm -hmm. um, and, we were, and again, we were sophomores. It was that same year, like you mentioned. And – he was actually, and he was a relatively spiritual guy, but not necessarily open, like doing, like going to church and bringing, you know, the Bible into the locker room. And this guy was before the games, reading Bible scriptures in his, in his locker, talking to nobody, which struck me as, you know, 
different because I hadn't seen him do it or I hadn't actually ever seen any players ever do it. Uh, but he was so dialed in and so focused in, 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 in a mind state that I'd never seen him in. And like, so obviously reading the Bible, he was pulling, you know, spiritual strength from it or whatever he felt like he, it, it, it did for him or meant to him. And the performances he put on for that weekend were unbelievable. If you, if you watch the games back, I mean, we had to deal with those guys you mentioned. But especially in the, you know, we were way down to NC State at halftime, came mm-hmm. back, and, and he just dominated the second half. And then in the game against Duke, uh, you know, I think he had something like 30, and it was just unbelievable. I mean, pull-ups and threes and, and floaters, and, you know, he put together, I mean, I know his game obviously well because we worked out all the time. But he just put it all together, and it all clicked for him that weekend. And it was, you know, you know when somebody's got it going, to your point, you know when they're in that zone. And in that, you can throw a bunch of people at them, and, and really the only thing you can kind of do is try to match it and be able to try to find a way collectively to, you know, slow it down or at least be able to match it. You mentioned your guy kind of getting on a roll and, and kind of feeding your guy. That that uh, that championship game against Duke, man, you guys were down late, and you got, obviously, you forced overtime. Um Talk a little. There was a play at the end of the game, man. You kind of, you kind of put a shoulder down on on our boy. Well, I shouldn't say our boy. I'm not a Duke guy by any means. I actually hate Duke. Uh, you put your shoulder into JJ, get a little and one action. What's that like? Just putting JJ Redick on his ass like that, and it won. I made a habit of putting JJ on his ass for four years, man. <laughs> Don't let JJ tell you any different. JJ's my guy. I told you he was my roommate when we were out at, in for two summers out in, in Santa Barbara. <laughs> And J.J. is a character. Let me put it like this. J.J. had a lot of, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, J.J., because it's, it's very it's very known knowledge. J.J. enjoyed his college career immensely mm-hmm. off the court. I mean, J.J. was one of these guys who would do whatever he wanted to do, and he'd show up and get the job done. You know? Sure. And he talked a lot. Don't let the, you know, poster boy appearance fool you. That guy would talk shit with the very, very best of them. Um, and was a, a, a fierce competitor. And that's the reason why he's had such a great career as an NBA player is that he's so competitive and so talented, and he's not afraid of any moment. I mean, he was always having huge games and big games. And, uh, you know, so in those moments, you know, I, I really had respect for J.J., but I also knew that if there was one Achilles heel J.J. had, he didn't like people being really, really physical with him, you know, mm-hmm. because he was used to having the refs uh, you know, on his side, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, all those, I mean, he was a great competitor and I enjoyed competing with him. I mean, over my years, uh, you know, when me and JJ were there, um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure he got the best of us more than we got the best of him, but we definitely got some wins and had some, some great, great, great games against them. Talk a little bit specifically. I think it was your teammate, I have actually a question about DJ Strawberry's dad and parents in general. I coach high school sports and I played it. We played parents are crazy. Sometimes are the, are the college parents as equally as crazy? Like is Daryl Strawberry yelling and screaming at his areas? Chris Duke, Chris Duhon's mom. Is she getting after you on the side? Like what are the parents? What are the parents like? The parents, at least from Maryland, um, were pretty calm because our coach was the exact opposite. You know what I mean? <laughs> Gary was, like you mentioned earlier, he was very, very, very vocal. Um, and, you know, our par- our parents and grandmothers and stuff were right behind the benches. He's literally chewing us out, saying everything under the sun. So they're kind of in shock a lot of times. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. They're cheering. I mean, they're cheering. I mean, sure. they are absolutely cheering. Don't get me wrong. But there wasn't a lot of heckling out of them. Uh, and other fans and other parents, you know, I think that because as college athletes we dealt with at that time, and I'm sure college athletes still do now, in the ACC, the North Carolina fans, the Maryland fans, the Duke fans, the Georgia Tech fans, the Florida State fans were very brutal, man. I mean, very brutal with the stuff they'd say. They'd do research on your families. They'd find out your grandparents' name. They'd find out, you know, anything they could about you, and they would just let you have it. But... You know, I think parents kind of felt like they're getting it already quite a bit, so we're just going to kind of just be the supportive voices in the in the room. What did what did, what were some things that guys said to you? Like, were there any lobster references or like any? Did they? What was some of the best uh, well, the smack? The story of all, hand, 
Hands Down, which was in the USA Today, and there was a huge story about it, is a fan from Maryland, or it was North Carolina, punked the Duke fans before the game that we beat them in Cameron Indoor. So that same game, when I came out onto the court, they were yelling, like, Myra, Piggy, and I'm like, I'm literally listening because I'm like, what is Myra and what is Piggy? Like, what? are these people talking about? And I'm, you know, having fun with it. You know, it was my junior year and I'd already had the experience in Gainesville. And so I was just kind of, I didn't go as far as I did in Gainesville. Sure. I was giving people looks and just kind of being, you know, being a little bit arrogant with them and stuff and just kind of having that attitude. Like I wasn't phased. And every time I went to the free throw line, they're all screaming like Myra. And then the other side of the whole thing is going piggy, Myra, piggy. And so, I didn't know what it was, and I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't really pay much mind. We got the win and kept it moving. And then there was a story that came out that a fan had infiltrated. They have a, a, a sheet that they give out to all the fans before the game with the info, and they, they had said that my girlfriend's name was Myra, and her little name for me that she'd call me, like her little pet name, was Piggy. And Myra and Piggy was a guy that back – you know, when Duke is like clean slate, never had any problems, there was a scandal, a recruiting type scandal, where a booster or an AU guy named Myron Piggy or Myron, some wordplay off that name, uh-huh. had been, you know, had, had caused Duke a huge problem. So they kind of punked him. And so that was like my most memorable experience with that. Not only did we get the win, but they, they got punked by not even our fans. I think it was the North Carolina fans. So it was pretty. Right. There was, there was layers. We can all yeah. rally against Duke. Yeah, it was pretty wild. <laughs> Man, and, and in terms of bad stuff, I've heard. I, I mean, you know, I'm not. I don't like to be in the habit of cursing and stuff. So I would have to say stuff that that isn't isn't right for you know any any kids that maybe would watch this. Sure, like, sure, sure, sure. I think, I think there's ways to be a fan, and there's ways to say things. And this happens now in the NBA, um, where there's a line you got to draw. Mm-hmm. Where there's certain things you can't say. There was racist stuff that was said to my teammates, like brutally racist stuff. And and it's like, you know what I mean? You probably don't mean it, but it doesn't matter. Like there's some stuff you just can't say and lines you can't cross. And some of the stuff that was said to me, you know what I mean? It's not even worth repeating. Like the sure. bottom line is that these people were, were just completely brutal, man. They were saying everything. And you get, you get desensitized to it. You know what I mean? You just, you laugh at it. You're definitely not taking it personal. I mean, when I was looking over at these Duke fans and no disrespect, to, you know, a guy who likes to study and stuff. But these were like nerdy guys with glasses, you know what I mean? And right. looked like they were 13 years old cussing you out. You're looking at them like, oh. right. you know what I mean? If I went outside right now, you'd be high-fiving me, you know what I mean? And like, there's no, there's, there's no ill will. It's just people having a good time, you know, people having fun. And so you just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think... For me, I, I heard the term like sports hate and then like kind of traditional hate. Like I hate guys like LeBron. I'm a Celtics guy, right? But it's, I have to be able to differentiate, you know, the man, the human versus the, the team that he plays for. So I think um, one thing for me actually it happened earlier this year is when, when Kobe Bryant passed away, it really kind of hit different in, in, in a sense that, I mean, I've always hated the Lakers, right? I've hated Kobe from a Celtics fan standpoint. Um, Look at you over there wearing that Lakers purple. I know, bro. Sidebar, sidebar, I'm a huge Lakers fan. Go ahead. Oh, man. Well, I wanted to... <laughs> oh, it's blasphemous I'm wearing this purple. And as a Blue Blazes guy, I mean, I'm... I, re- I appreciate the love, man. I appreciate it. But as far as I'm concerned, you're wearing Lakers purple. I know. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I'm hiding the, the Rams logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. family, the Lakers, the Rams. I know, I know, man. Well, my my question is, as someone who obviously has such a close, intimate relationship with the game of basketball, as someone who's who's moved around overseas um, and seen the game through different lenses, um, different at different times, uh, what was your kind of reaction, I guess, to, to Kobe Bryant's passing? Obviously, as a Lakers fan, too, um, but how do you kind of see it? What was his impact on a global scale um, from kind of your perspective? Man, Kobe is a guy who I obviously a huge fan. Um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, for my generation after Michael Jordan was the Michael Jordan for me. I mean, being a Lakers fan, he was the guy who I looked to as just the definition of greatness, that competitiveness and that ability and that will to do things that take not only just 
for people that aren't athletes, ridiculous stamina and endurance, um, but just incredible skill. I mean, he's unbelievable. I mean, he was transcend transcendent for me. Um, you know, the same way that even LeBron has been, you know, uh, for, for a generation a little after me. Um, and, and for me, I don't try to have those conversations about, um, who's the greatest player of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I, I just respect greatness so much as a, as a, as a fan and as an athlete, um, that I just celebrate all these guys. I think Kobe's incredible. I think he's an all time great LeBron James, all time great Jordan. I mean, for these guys to be able to say that you're one of the greatest players that's ever played the game of basketball ever is so unbelievable that who cares who's which one and because they all have their own. So these debates are going on now. A lot of my friends and people I see these debates going on: LeBron, Kobe, and and and, and MJ, and then people start talking about you know Bill Russell and some of these guys. I just it, it, you know my perspective is these guys have all been ambassadors for the game, all people that helped shape my game and my competitive drive and, and inspired me throughout my career, even to this day, the stuff that I see LeBron doing and I study these guys and try to watch interviews um, to hear the way that they articulate things and, and to try to pick from their mindset and draw inspiration from the way that they, the way that they operate. And these guys have all been, have been so huge for the game of basketball um, and, and they've all had huge impacts on me. Man, I don't like the Bill Russell wouldn't be effective in today's NBA argument. I don't personally, I don't like comparing, you know, time frames or I just, I, I tend to kind of agree with you um, in that sense. They're, they all can be great, you know? Um, all right. I gotta, I gotta know a little bit about uh, coach Williams. He's a fiery guy. I also want to know a little bit. Um, so Deering, 27 a game as a junior and 36 and a half or whatever. That's crazy. It's stupid. Uh, what is it like to just like go out there? What'd you do to my blazes as a senior? Did you play Westbrook? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, played Westbrook my senior year. Uh, I think I had 48 at Westbrook my senior year. There was a couple fans who, uh, had always kind of got on. I mean, it's funny because I, I got it. I got it pretty hard, man, as a, as a senior. Um, from fans because I'd already signed at Maryland and, and unfortunately there was a lot of haters who felt like I was going to go to Maryland and sit on the bench mm -hmm. and I was going to go there for a year and transfer and I that was fuel to my fire. It was a chip on my shoulder and I always felt like I was an underdog. Um, and it, it motivated me and you know I, I would set goals for myself. I had a really, really great inner circle of really close friends that are still brothers to me and they would challenge me and we would we I wasn't looking at traditional first and foremost we got to win I wasn't looking at traditional stuff like um you know 20 30 I was challenging myself to have 50 and to just have again we talked about Kobe you know having that mentality of just pushing yourself to be the best you can possibly be and not putting a ceiling on it and just trying to dominate every minute and justify myself I was trying to just my justify myself to the people I cared about. I cared about Maine fans. I wanted to represent Maine. It didn't matter if you were from Westbrook or South Portland or, you know, as I left and transitioned to Maryland, I was going to, you know, wear the, 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 the Maine, you know, jersey. And I was going to try to represent for everybody because I have so much respect for Maine basketball and the people I've played against and the fans and how passionate there are people that are here, coaches in Maine basketball. And so, you know, I used it as, as, as fuel to my fire, and I really challenged myself. My senior year, I went on a, a run where I think I had, I averaged over 45 for, you know, over a month. I was like 45, 47, 50, 51, something like that. And it was really just challenging myself to be at my very best and, and um, you know, pushing myself to try to, to prove myself. I was honestly just trying to prove myself. Uh, not only was I trying to prove myself to, to, um, the people that I cared about, but I was trying to prove myself to myself. Like, damn, some of these people I really like respect and like, they kind of are carrying that same energy. And I'm like trying to prove it to myself as well. Like I got to really get myself ready because this is another level. And I think that entire experience made me work so hard that it prepared me for, you know, and ultimately starting as a freshman at Maryland. 
And that's one of the things I was going to ask too, because like you did the opposite of, of go and kind of get consumed by the big campus or the big program. I mean, you're, you're joining an ACC program who's at maybe arguably the height of its kind of run, just winning, going to a final four, winning a national championship legacy with guys like, you know, Len Bias, um, some of the, you know, Milliken go way back. Uh, you got a new arena. How do you not get eaten alive as a true freshman? How do you go in there? What was your relationship with Coach Williams? Like, what was his recruitment process? You talked about having already been committed as a senior. Did he say, Nick, you're going to come start as a true freshman? Or how did that happen? Well, he had, and one of the things that I've learned throughout this my whole career with college the last basically 20 years is <clears throat> at any for anything to be successful, you've got to have a great team around you. Um, and, it, and it really doesn't matter what it is. I mean, even an individual sport like golf, you need to have a great caddy and a great trainer. Uh, team is, you know, for me, everything. And I think it is in, in so many things and something I've found a lot of comparables in business. But he had a phenomenal team around him with his staff. I was recruited by um, Jimmy Patsos and Dave Dickerson. And those guys were his, you know, his one-two, and they were the guys that always would be the voice of reason behind the energy. Let's call the Gary Williams tirades energy. Mm-hmm, yes. They would be the guys who said, "Well, what he meant by is you, 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 you've got to front this guy, or you got to deny the lane, or whatever." And then through the recruiting process, they were the guys who instilled that confidence in me. And when I went down there, I mean, I talked to. Steve Blake, Drew Nicholas, and a guy named Calvin McCall, who was one of the best leaders and, and, and kind of mentors that I played with my whole career. And I only got to play with him for one year. Byron Mouton was a senior, and Byron Mouton was graduating. And the only guy that they had on their team returning in my position was the backup quarterback for the Maryland football team, a guy named Calvin McCall. And, you know, when I went down there for my visit, he told me, Blake told me, and Drew Nicholas told me, they said, look, you have an opportunity to come down here and play, like start. You know what I mean? So that was part of their pitch to me. I mean, they pitched me. They took me on a great recruiting trip. I mean, I had an amazing time. I still have a great relationship with all those guys, Blake and and, and Drew Nicholas. We talk all the time. Um, and, you know, those guys took me under their wing from the minute I stepped on campus on my unofficial visit. And they were like, look, you have, an, you have a real chance to play on a team that is one of the top teams in the country. And so that was huge for me. I mean, my final couple of schools I was looking at was um, Kansas. At that time, they had Roy Williams, and he was phenomenal. Connecticut, uh, they were great. Calhoun recruited me hard. And then um, I wanted to go to North Carolina. That was my – that was, you know, Jordan was a big part of that, and I was a huge Tar Heels fan. Um but they they were going after Rashad McCants and and um, the, the coach at that time told me uh, Doherty told me like you know we'd love to have you but we can't guarantee the minutes and then the other guy who I loved which was off the beaten path a little bit at that time was Missouri because Quinn Snyder recruited me harder than anybody and Rick, Quinn Snyder now is the coach of the, the Jazz obviously and I just like had like I just felt so comfortable with Quinn. He was like so brilliant the way that he talked about the game and his vision. And like, I could tell he really studied my game. He knew things about my game that, that like only me and my dad talk about, you know what I mean? So it was, it was like, wow, this guy. So he was a top. And then ultimately it was, it was just that ACC close to home, you know, big market, big media market, Baltimore sun, Washington post, awesome, you know, platform, um, and my dad, you know, he was a huge part in kind of taking, thinking about all these, these elements and then saying, look, if you look at the people in your position, which I always tell young players to look at and also young professional athletes, look at the person who's in your position coming back and then look at the, you know, what does that landscape look like? And then, you know, if there was somebody in your position that left, what was their role in the offense? Like, were they somebody who was featured or not or that's a good way to kind of figure out what your role going to be because coaches don't change that much for players unless you're a very special guy. Usually they go with their system. Mm-hmm. Gary Williams was a system guy, um, which was, you know, I struggled with a little bit in a lot of ways because re- reflecting on that, you know, the flex offense didn't really suit my game uh, all too much because as a, as a three, I was really on the baseline, corner threes, 
didn't have the ball in my hands much. Um, in retrospect, I, I would have fit a lot better in different types of offenses, but I learned that as my career went on. Uh, but I knew I was going to play a lot in my heart. Mm-hmm. And from what they were telling me, I'm going to play a lot. But then I got everybody in my inner circle and everybody where I'm from telling me that I was out of my mind and I was a cocky, arrogant jerk for thinking that I could even go to a place like that. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like I went with, you know, my gut and, and my confidence in myself and just what I was being told by where I'm going. I mean, listen, I respect your your, your opinion, main fans, but I'm also going to go with what the head coach in one of the biggest schools in the country is telling me, you know. Right. You bet you kind of bet on yourself in that in that sense. Like, hey, I'm gonna use I'm gonna yeah, use I this. Myself and I and I, I got a really good vibe from these guys that they weren't BSing me. You know, and my dad was like, I think they're being and and, and also you gotta just look at it. There's no other person who's playing minutes in your position right now. And the only other guy they're gonna have on the roster next year is a is a backup is a backup quarterback for the football team. Who they brought on as a walk on because he's such a great leader. Mm-hmm. because he was such a great locker room guy. And what they told me is he's going to be a perfect guy to mentor you and use for tutelage as you enter into a different level, you know, and throughout my whole year starting, I mean, this is a guy who's a senior and was coming back on uh, as a senior and had a freshman who was starting. And when, when, when Gary started him for the first couple of games and when Gary ultimately gave me the start, starting nod, this dude was more excited for me than I was. Wow. You know what I mean? And you learn a lot from that because as far as I'm concerned, that that's true character. Mm-hmm. And that's a real teammate. Somebody who's willing to maintain their principles and character even in the middle of demotion because it's what is for the best of the group, ultimately. And he was such a great leader and such a great, great mentor. You know, I learned I learned a ton from him about what it takes to win, you know. And, and we, we had a nice run with that team. We went to the uh, to the Sweet 16, and unfortunately, I dislocated my ankle like three minutes into that game, um, and we lost in that game to Texas. Um, in Texas, I think it was at, it was in San Antonio, or no, it was the Michigan State in in San Antonio. I think Texas beat or played Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was just they had a great infrastructure there with their coaches and with their staff, and it made me feel comfortable with the whole scenario man so uh that's just that's awesome and you mentioned a little bit about people chirping or or different dynamics at play and i kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit as we kind of finish up here um you made a very um telling post about the numbers in maine in terms of kids being able to have opportunities to play at the d1 level um to play professionally Obviously yourself, you're kind of an outlier because you've played at Maryland. You've, you've had a very successful professional career. Um, what can we do, we being coaches, teachers, um, AAU programs, parents, student athletes themselves, like what can we do better as Mainers to help kind of grow our youth programs or, or is it is it club programs? Is it through the varsity sports? I mean, what is your opinion on how we can make a positive change in, in Maine sports? Yeah, well, I think one of the things, first thing from that post is the interesting thing about social media that can be challenging is when you do a post, it's, you know, you try to articulate in the, you know, in a nobody's trying to read a book, you know, type of situation, something that's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that is important for me that was not meant by it is that there's not a number of phenomenal trainers and phenomenal coaches and people in Maine basketball who are doing amazing things. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For me, it was not only it was a challenge to myself, you know, um, <clears throat> specifically, but also my peers, um, and a little bit of a jab at a lot of people and programs and trainers that I've seen in Maine who are very, very focused on making money, which I also get as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. And sure. I also respect. But I think that the ultimate goal should be trying to put the kids in the best situation possible to be successful. And sometimes if you're charging money and you're, you're putting people in a position where they're not necessarily getting the type of uh, tutelage they should get in that situation, I don't think that's fair to the parents and I don't think it's fair to the players. And it happens everywhere. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. It happens everywhere. And, and the way that AAU basketball has been monetized has been a, a narrative and a, a debate throughout the country now for a long time. Um, and so for me, it, it's 
what can be done, I mean, that's very, very dynamic. And I think that there's a lot of factors to that statistic. But the reality is when you have such an alarming statistic, it's worth a challenge. And it's worth saying, let's collaborate and let's find ways and let's, let's take an analysis approach of saying, what are we doing? And then what can we do additionally to, again, part of this is providing opportunities for everybody. And when you look at the overall landscape of basketball, there are some barriers to entry that involve money. Mm-hmm. So when everything is based around a cost to train and a cost to play on a team and a cost for this, this, and this, that's a barrier to entry for a lot of young people. You know, and, and, and the way that, that the world works, um, unfortunately, a lot of those areas that don't have the same economic means are backgrounds that deserve an opportunity. And if you look at the landscape of the NBA, and not to make it about race, but when you look at the landscape of, you know, uh, the numbers of poverty throughout the country, a lot of people that have been successful in professional sports are from different backgrounds and minorities and economic areas that have a very difficult time. And so I think that in Maine, there's a lot of people that need the opportunity from a very young age to have mm-hmm. the same opportunities that somebody who goes to Falmouth, their parents have a steady job that can they can afford to go to these AU programs and, and train with these people. So that's been something I've challenged myself with. And through that post, tried to challenge other people mm-hmm. where, you know, let's make sure that the focus is on giving everybody an opportunity, whether it's a kid who is from wherever in the world or a kid from Falmouth, a kid who's white, black, Asian, Hispanic, let's make sure everybody's getting the same opportunities. Yeah. And again, not to make it a race thing, but to be really analytic statistically about what we're dealing with financially for a lot of people in their backgrounds. And in Maine, has, it, it has diversified a lot more. When you look at the Deering High School roster now, mm-hmm. and you look at the Deering High School roster when I was in high school, it looks a lot different. It's a lot more diverse, which I think is a phenomenal thing. I think it's great that we have more and more people coming to the state of Maine and and, and we have more diversity. But we have to keep keep into mind that we have to give equal opportunities from the game of basketball and try to find ways that we can make the training inclusive for people that might not have the money. So that's part of it. And I'm sure trainers and coaches and AAU programs, I hope they do, they, 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 they work with kids and families, you know, but let's not make this all about make money and let's try to, you know, improve. And, and there is no answer. The, the answer to your, to your question is I don't necessarily have an answer or magic wand that can say, this is what we need to do to get guys, more guys, division one. I think what we can do though, from a very young age, the more people that have the opportunity to have elite level training, great coaching, great leadership from all different backgrounds the better, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a great first step and I think it's happening and I just want to be a part and challenge other people to, to keep that in mind and, and you know, uh, make a, a, an effort to, to, to focus on that and, and give, give everybody opportunities and, and, and try to focus on the things that matter. Yeah. And I think the, the important thing and the cool thing that, that you're kind of doing is providing us with a, with a platform and, a, and an opportunity to start having these conversations because it is so important to, to provide opportunities. And I don't think it's, I mean, you mentioned about giving time and it not necessarily need to be a monetary thing. Um, and just giving kids like you're talking about an opportunity. Um, good stuff, man. Um, I wanted to ask, I guess, a final thought here, question, maybe give you an opportunity to kind of pitch in terms of people. Where can people kind of follow you? Is it like social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, or from an entrepreneurial standpoint, we can kind of stay in tune with that. And then maybe what's your message to um, high school seniors right now or just young youngsters in general, maybe with some uncertainty heading into the, into the summer, into the fall season? Just kind of what's your broader message, I guess, to, to younger athletes? Well, first of all, I want to thank you um, for not only the way that you've articulated this, um, you know, the respect to Deering and, and the Lakers, right? <laughs> oh, come on, man. And, and just the, 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 the knowledge that you have of the game of the basketball, and I salute you for that. I mean, you, you dropped Tom McMillan, man. You're, you're, you're the only, a true, uh, only a true basketball connoisseur. Go Terps. Go the hard guys, right? Yeah, um, go Terps, baby. For... for, for the platform and, you know, 
giving the opportunity for for guys with experience to talk about you know what their experience has been and 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 you know give kids the opportunity or coaches to kind of just we can all feed off each other and we can all learn from each other so first of all i appreciate you for that um as far as me and and you know social media i have facebook but it's not really something that i do actively from a standpoint of uh interaction too much it's more just um you know, to try to be able to, to express myself from time to time. Um, and, and, and I'm really focused on Maine. You know, when I talk about anything, it's, it's really sharing experiences I've had to try to be inspirational uh, to young players here. Um, and then also just kind of just express myself from time to time, thought streams. I don't post a ton. I try to put in a lot of thought into stuff that I do post mm-hmm. and show love to other things that other people are doing. Um, and then as an entrepreneur, I mean, you know, Maine is, is, is where I'm from. I have a, a lot of love here and I'm, I'm going to invest in this community because I, I, I have so much passion about it. Um, you know, and then, and then as far as high school uh, players and, and young people with what's going on now and just in general as you, as you transition, you know, the principles of being disciplined and being a good person and respecting your coaches and your friends and your parents um, and work ethic um, those are the things that are very cliche and you hear them a lot, but you do hear them a lot for a reason. I think it's very important. And, and one thing that I would just share in closing as a message is these things that you hear all the time about, you know, work ethic, again, discipline and all these things, respect for your teammates, mm-hmm. you know, respect for the referees, all these little details are going to have a huge impact on your career as a college player and as a professional and the way that you're gauged and the way that you're evaluated by everybody who, who, who matters as far as decision makers. Um, and so I think that that's a really important thing to, to remember. And, and I think that we have phenomenal people in Maine basketball right now. I'm inspired by it and I'm excited to be more hands-on as I, as I transition out of basketball. Well, Nick, we certainly appreciate your time and we will we will be in touch and we'll kind of stay um, in tune with with your career as as it kind of comes to, you know, a close here and, and your post playing career. And hopefully we can get you in the, the front office mix, maybe get in touch with our guy, Quinn Snyder in, in, in Utah. And, you know, we'll see. But we can't we can't wait to kind of um, follow you from here on out. And, and uh, we, we very much appreciate your time man. appreciate you as well. And uh I really enjoyed this and, and, and let's talk again soon. Yeah, for sure, Nick. All right, man. Good stuff. Take care, man. Keep doing your thing. Take care. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Canner Medley. Wow. What a conversation. What a guy. Um, a lot to kind of digest there. Just a, just a really, really great, um, obviously a great basketball player, a great communicator, um, you know, a really great man. It's just, it's really cool to kind of, to hear some of those stories, obviously MJ, obviously, you know, JJ Reddick putting him on his ass, you know, hearing stories going down to the swamp and, uh, he was a little modest there. He had 22 and 13. He didn't have 20 and 10. (laughs) He, uh, he, he set Gainesville on fire that night. Um, and just the way he kind of handles himself, um, as a professional, but also personally, um, it's very, you kind of feed off that energy and it, and it's, and it's really cool in terms of his message to, to youngsters and, and to coaching and kind of going back to the basics of why we do um, things that we do. And, and just a really, really cool conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of a geek out, you know, talking about certain players and he's talking about guarding this guy or forcing this guy to the baseline or doing different things. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a really fun conversation. I think my takeaway would be, you know, be coachable, be a good teammate, be disciplined, lean on support, trust your gut. Obviously, Nick talked a lot about trusting his family, his dad and him had a really close relationship. He kind of blocked out noise at certain times, whether it was, you know, the the main fans talking about, oh, you should go here, you should go there. And then at certain times, he welcomed the noise, right? In Gainesville, he's going, yeah, bring it on. And he embraced that challenge. He embraced that opportunity. Um, and, then, and then kind of 22 and 13, right? I mean, he, he, he put pressure on himself and it was like, oh shoot, I got a ball out now, you know? So I think one of my big takeaways is, is raise the bar for yourself and shoot for it and go for it. Literally and figuratively shoot for it. Um, 
just very, very appreciative of, of Nick's time, his, his conversation, his, his experiences, um, just a lot of fun and can't wait to kind of connect with him and see, you know, where he goes in his post playing career. I just, you know, I, I just am ecstatic about it. So, um, that was a lot of fun. A really, really good conversation with Nick Kanner medley. Come on.